There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is in the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Boom. <laughs> Welcome to the Zone Zone, a father-daughter podcast about the Twilight Zone, starring me, Toby, and me, Maeve. <laughs> All right. It feels so weird. I feel like we should establish like a an intro that we do. Uh huh. I, I thought that was the intro. Just like saying our names. That's so boring. Well, you know, sometimes uh, that's the best way to get to know someone. No, it isn't. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3 of The Twilight Zone, because everyone knows that the third thing is the best thing. Just look at The Godfather. Oh, boy. I think Maeve is already telegraphing her opinions about this episode. All right. The um, title of the episode was Mr. Denton on Doomsday. What was the significance okay. of this title? Yeah. I, I didn't know whether to jump right in before I even mentioned the director or not, but... yeah doomsday like is this is there anything about this episode that screams doomsday to you um i'll take that silence as a no (laughs) yeah this i mean we're gonna learn about the episode it's it's pretty high stakes for you know a couple people but this is not doomsday by any stretch of the imagination and i think they were just going for really bad alliteration but if that was the case, they could have named the character anything. They didn't have to name the character Denton. Maybe they just really wanted to, like, suggest that he's a tooth. Yeah. Why not Why not Mr. Francis on Fate Day? That would have made sense. Yeah, but that would have spoiled the whole episode, Dad. All right. Mr. Jeez. Garston on Gunfight Day. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> or Mr. Person on Plot Device Day. Whatever it is, it doesn't really Mr. matter. Mr. McGuffin on McGuffin Day. <laughs> there you go. Now you're getting into the spirit. All right. Well, uh, directed by Alan Reisner, written, narrated, and produced by Mr. Rod Serling. Starring, what a show off. Yeah, <laughs> starring Dan Duria, I want to say. Is that sure. how you pronounce it? Sure. Duria. <laughs> um, but a notably guest-starring... Guest Emmy-nominated actor Martin Lando. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fan of Martin Lando, aren't you? I am a fart- fan of Martin Lando. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fart Martin Lando. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, he expelled I'm a me fan to the surface. of Martin Lando so much that maybe I fart when I say his name. It's possible. Um uh, my fandom actually goes back to a very strange TV show, which I don't think I've ever told you about, called Space 1999, which, of course, was impossibly in the future because I saw it in the 70s. I think Is it, it like that. a prequel to 2001? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Mercifully, it's not. Um, no, Space Oof. 1999. Oof, we're getting that Kubrick shaming on in here <laughs> yeah, early. Well, you know, you, you, did, you bagged on Francis Ford Coppola a little earlier. I think I can bag on Kubrick. Uh, So Space 1999 uh, took place on the moon, and as near as I remember, and Wikipedia did help me a little trying to jog my memory, but there's a moon colony. Martin Lando's kind of the head of it, and I think the woman he was married to for like a long time, but apparently they got divorced after like 40 years of marriage. Don't know why. 
Uh, but anyway, they were starring together on Space 1999. And I think the other side of the moon was used for all of our nuclear waste or oh. something. And then some, the first episode, some electrical storm happens and it blows off the nuclear waste. Half the moon essentially becomes a rocket and it propels the moon out of orbit and then into space. And so they're kind of lost in space on a spaceship, but the spaceship is the moon or kind of half the moon. Yeah, but what I really want to know is what year the show is set in. <laughs> I know. Well, that was the big reveal in the second season. Yeah. Well, Martin Lando has had a has had a blazing career as, well, as I, this episode. I just wanted to point out that it sticks in my memory so much because I had a totally, totally awesome Space 1999 vintage, well, not vintage at the time, metal lunchbox uh, that I cherish with the matching thermos. Martin Lando is right there front and center and Barbara, I want to say rain his wife or something i think was the other star <laughs> someone i can't remember her name exactly but i can see her face and his face so clearly on that lunchbox and if so that's what i thought of if it's vintage but not vintage at the time <laughs> that just makes it lame well yeah no it was of the time i suppose it would be vintage now anyway that's my relationship to martin landau you uh to be continued <laughs> to be continued all right cool uh so uh we should get to the episode that yep. seemed like a good idea. Yep. Uh, we open on an old west town with a soulful harmonica, the harmonica of soul. I know. Yeah. On Wikipedia, Wikipedia, mm -hmm. it said that um, it was stock music this episode, but the score is notably different to me. Yeah, no, it was definitely, but it, but yeah, I, I read the same thing that there was some kind of stock Russian song, uh, mm -hmm. but it was very, very different than the other two episodes. Different yeah. time, but it did sort of establish an old westy feel. It was like Seven Samurai soundtrack, but like kind of suaver. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense with Seven <laughs> Samurai being kind of a quintessential uh, forerunner of westerns. That he slept through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not actually seen all of Seven Samurai. I, I have seen parts. No, <laughs> I saw the first two Samurai, I think. You know what my favorite part of Seven Samurai is? When they're sitting in the circle and the old guy is like, we're going to need a few samurai to defend our village. <laughs> How many samurai do you think we need? And then there's one guy who's like, two samurai. Another guy's like, three samurai. And it's like that really cruel game you play in elementary school where it's like, are you one? Are you two? Are you three? And then they skip over seven. Mm. It's a good film. It's a good film. <laughs> so um, this one only has one samurai, I guess, in the form of a gunfighter or a few He's couple. He's a pretty lame samurai. Um, but we know it's a Western because, sure enough, within the first 30 seconds, we see an old-timey saloon and someone being thrown out of an old-timey saloon. So therefore, hey we know it's a Western. And <laughs> hey, it's the town drunk. What? Western. Pardon me, town rummy. <laughs> Sorry, town rummy. I have to use the appropriate terminology. They called him a rummy so many times. <laughs> and it wasn't until the last time they called him a rummy on my second viewing that I realized that they weren't likening him to the game Rummy Cube. <laughs> yes. I was just like, well, there, there are worse games to be compared to. I can I can jive with some, some good Rummy Cube. No, nope. rum. That was the thing. That was the thing. I don't know enough about alcohol to... To really make sense of old west movies that makes my daddy heart glad and proud and <laughs> comforted 
so uh, we also have, in addition to the town rummy, we have the town bully. And this is Mr. Martin Landau, of course, with a black hat. <laughs> Academy Award winning actor Martin Landau. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, um, my. Uh, and there's also um, Malcolm Atterbury is in this, and he plays the wise old weird guy. And he's very much a that oh. guy. He plays Mr. Fate. Um, and I realize that the reason why it looks so familiar to me is that he's most famous for being the guy who says in the classic Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest, that's funny. The plains dust and crops where there ain't no crops, which is like the best line in North by Northwest. This oh. dude, this dude That's got to guy. say those immortal words, All right, and then cool. hop on a bus and leave <laughs> Cary Grant to die. By the way, Cary Grant will come up a little later in my oh, my hot take. You've got ex- extensive hot takes. Well, yes, we do have <laughs> Mr. Fate, Mr. Henry J. Fate. He's a, a very subtly named peddler of things. <laughs> a peddler in the parlance of the time, <laughs> to quote uh, Rod Sterling. So um, we jump in right away. This bully is throwing uh, Mr. Denton, the, the town drunk, essentially out the saloon and demanding that he sing How Dry I Am. Uh, so I didn't know really whether this is sort of parodying bullies or parodying alcoholism, yeah. trying to be sincere. I mean, it really kind of fell on some, it, it fell really hard on these ears, on these 2018 years. There are tone problems in this episode. <laughs> Definitely some tone problems in this also episode. a lot of beer wasting. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the alcohol wasting. Like, for a guy who drinks, he really doesn't know how to drink very well, right? Like, the... <laughs> He's like, I got one, two, three, four, five holes in my face, and the beer's going to go into one of them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it, beer doesn't uh, grow on trees. It grows in beer gardens. Jesus, people. <laughs> I suspect, by the way, just for the sake of accuracy, it's gin or rum. It's some oh. kind of serious alcohol. This is not just beer. These guys are hitting oh, it hard. it was in a bottle. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. Again, proud, comforted daddy heart. Uh, yeah, if, Martin if Landau, you haven't been tipped off by the fact that I'm doing a Twilight Zone recap podcast <laughs> with my father, <laughs> not exactly the partying type. <laughs> not so much. Uh, yeah, Martin Landau smashes the bottle against the side, throws it at the guy, and the guy just like practically washes his face in alcohol, mm-hmm. really kind of thinking that maybe a couple drops are going to get there. And you would think that he'd treat it a little more preciously. But nevertheless, uh, we, uh, he ends up, of course, on the street. Um, the, the um, what do you call it? The 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 woman who works in the saloon. The we dame. assume kind of a madam type person. The oh, pardon classic, me. The yeah. dame. <laughs> the classic, uh, at least movie stereotype of the hooker with the heart of gold. Dame in a in a <laughs> dress with a slit. Oh my. Oh my. She looks on pityingly, empathetically, and and we cut or we listen to Rod Serling tells us. Portrait of a town drunk named Al Denton. Dude, this... your Rod Serling is getting better with every episode. I'm very impressed. Yeah, except when you interrupt it. Then, you know, I don't really get the full force of it. All right, got to work up to it because I really I like this line. i got to undercut you or else you're going to take over the podcast, All man. Right. Portrait of a town drunk named Al Denton. This is a man who's begun his dying early. I like that. I like that. He's begun his dying early. This is it. At least he isn't walking down a treadmill made out of we're introduced to three principal characters. Mr. Denton himself, the 
uh, aforementioned peddler who hasn't said anything yet, and <gasps> a gun appears on the street next to Mr. Denton's hand. Badop, badop, pew, pew. <laughs> pew, pew. And we cut to commercial. When we come back from commercial in Act 2, uh, we're coming right back up uh, where, we, where we left off. Uh, uh, the guy wakes up. He's drunk. He's don't you miss the days when you could mm-hmm. fall asleep in the <laughs> middle of the road in the early afternoon and not be hit by a car? I know. Well, he almost gets hit by a stagecoach as he reaches for his yeah. drink. This turns is supposed the- to be a Western, but I think it's a Midwestern because everyone's like, oh, we got to go around him or else we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Uh, so he picks up the gun kind of uh, quizzically and mm-hmm. Mrs. Smith uh, from the saloon comes out and expositions a lot yeah. so that we can find out that shock of shocks, he used to be a gunslinger. What? what? I love the Chekhov's gun in this. Yeah. But I feel like Chekhov, like, he has too many guns by now. Can this yeah. be like Gogol's gun? <laughs> Chekhov has definitely paid his NRA dues. Chekhov said the gun had to fire in the third act, I think, or by the third act. This gun fires pretty darn quickly, right? <laughs> Agreed. Um, the, the bully comes back out. Apparently he hasn't had enough uh, choruses of how dry I am, so he bullies Denton again to sing it again. Wait, and I'll you buy want a you fun some fact rum. about how dry I am? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the Westinghouse clothes dryer from the year 1953 would sing this song when the clothes were dry. <laughs> it did not, really. Yes. <laughs> oh, how dry I am. <laughs> oh, dry. oh, boy, that's... All right, anyway, uh, we go, uh, we, uh, we, we get the bad guy. He's bullying, bullying, bullying. Uh, Denton is upset, upset, upset. He's kind of waving the gun, not really even realizing he has a gun. Oh, and uh, sorry... Uh, the bully actually challenges. That was it. He yeah, yeah. challenges Denton to a gunfight when he sees the gun. And I think this establishes the fundamental, I don't know, plot mover of this episode, which I, again, does just clangs on these 2018 ears. This seems to be like a massive episode about toxic masculinity. Like, I, I, okay, I felt I'm the not same off way. Base here. <laughs> no, on the one hand, it felt like it was about like the cyclical ways in which we we perpetuate toxic masculinity, but on the other hand, it didn't really seem to be saying anything too much, other than, like, well, sometimes God steps in. Yeah, no, I, there is that, and we'll get, <laughs> to, not, we'll get not, to God at the end, but... It's not your just, responsibility to, like, not be a toxic man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes God to stop men, to intervene, to stop men from being idiots. Basically, the, the thrust of this is, if you're a gunslinger, the way you prove your worthiness is to walk around looking for other gunslingers and proving that you're better than them by challenging them to a fight right Mm -hmm. i mean this is basically it but it helps when you know when (laughs) when screen actors guild award winning actor (laughs) martin lando is wearing a pretty great cravat i think that makes it a little better he was wearing a righteous cravat, the kind of which I can't imagine any actual Western anyone actually wore. But there was some looked, good bot game in this. In this episode. good on him. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> he had a good outfit. Suits him. Yeah. Anyway, he <laughs> challenges Denton. Denton doesn't want to fight, of course. He just wants to get a drink. But the gun just fires mysteriously. Of course, we get a knowing look from the man in black, so we suspect he has something to do with it. And it blows the gun right out of Martin Landau's hand. Uh, he looks at his hand, 
pain. Everyone's everyone erupts into cheers. And, and then he doesn't put the gun down. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't put the gun down. You think that was it? Ah, get rid of this gun. No. Everyone grabs him and all of a sudden he's gone from the town zero to the town hero, right? Everyone wants to buy him a drink. They shuffle him into the saloon. He's so great. They're like Hooray! You impeccably shot a man from a two-meter distance <laughs> who was unprepared. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. It didn't actually have the drama of that classic sort of gunfight draw scene, but nevertheless, he gets hero status because of it. Um, and then uh, they go in. Uh, oh, and a dude calls a dude calls him Mr. Denton, and, oh and Denton's like, "What'd you say? What'd you call me?" He's like, I didn't call you nothing, sir. <laughs> Mr. Denton. He's like, that's the stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, someone calls him Mr. Duck Denton and alcoholism cured. What? He doesn't want to drink. We figured it out. <laughs> I know. It's so easy. Ross Sterling fixed it in, what is it, 1959? I know. Forget the 12 steps. You just need... <laughs> Respect, apparently. <laughs> the respect that comes from owning a gun and using it properly to mm. to shoot someone's other gun or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he doesn't want to drink. Instead, he wants to go get a shave and, and look good because he knows he's feeling big. Well, at the same time, so he tells this story of, like, shooting 16-year-olds because <laughs> in this, like... This real knows real way. Yeah. Um, when you, he was. Can, a I, can, I, can I stop yeah, right yeah. there? Because you really got to get into this story. Because yep. this actually this struck a chord with me that it probably didn't strike with you. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I just had a joke about the shaving. <laughs> That's all I got to the offer. <laughs> sorry, Go ahead yeah. and talk about it. If, if I jumped striking. on your joke, I'm sorry. Uh, no, yeah, he leaves and you expect him to be all happy. And Mrs. Smith is like, everything's going to be all right now. And he says, no, it's just starting again. And he goes into this long expo expository story about his past, about how he became the best gunslinger, and it seemed like every day a gunslinger would walk into town and want to test themselves against me. Yeah. And every day I'd gun him down, and every day I'd start drinking a little bit earlier. Because I was good. I was real good. <laughs> when he said that, I muttered, he shoots it real good. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell this story? <laughs> okay. It's funny. Uh, here's a diversion. It's podcast this is a, a family story. Go it's ahead, funny. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's yeah, a do it. I said go. Story, Let's go. Yeah. Um, so, I will not say where we are from, but we are Midwestern. We do not live in the Midwest, but one time we were back in the Midwest. And as some of you Midwestern listeners might know, listeners, well, um, there are a lot of Dairy Queens there. Um, and one time, my father and I went to a Dairy Queen, and we both ordered um, peanut, the uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzards. This is all a relevant exposition, but it's my podcast. Um, <laughs> and then, when the blizzards arrived, the man at the counter, he did the, the Dairy Queen thing. Where Before he, he did the Dairy down. Queen thing, I gotta tell you right here, I gotta jump in, because you gotta make right. a mental picture here. Yes. He stared at us with the most dead-eyed stare in the world. It was blistering. Blistering, dead-eyed, zombie, maybe? Or just hatred. I wasn't sure which. Yeah. So he looks at Dad first. He he does the, the Dairy Queen flip over the cup thing to show that it's, like, solidified, which is not very appealing to me, but we'll go past that. And he says, and they were real good. <laughs> I made it real good. And he gives the cup to Dad. And we were like, that was, we kind of shared a look of, hmm. Yeah. 
they're rebranding. I, 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 I looked at him and said, yep. <laughs> but then he looked at me, blistering right in the eyes. And again, he flips the cup and he goes, I made it real good. I made it real good, he said. That dead-eyed stare at my daughter, to which she said, yep. <laughs> And, and they were good blizzards, you know, to yeah, his credit. He, did, he made it real good. Um, we went back to that Dairy Queen several times, hoping to see him again and maybe make some kind of a more meaningful connection. <laughs> uh, but we never saw him again. And that Dairy Queen ultimately closed down. We found yeah. out this last summer, so perhaps we'll never see him again. Unless, unless sir, you are listening. Oh in which gosh. case, we want you to write in and let Please. you know. You uh, made it real good, that's for sure. You definitely made it real good. I believe our podcast is zonezonepodcasts at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. I might amend that later. Please write in, sir. You have made a great imprint upon us <laughs> um, and an impact in general. All right. You're pretty great. You back made it real good. <laughs> back to Mr. Denton, who shoots real good. Um, this, so he goes into the story, you know, uh, every day killing a new person, every day drinking earlier until one day. A 16-year-old boy walked into town, and I shot him dead and walked straight into the saloon, and I haven't walked out since. Now, this is the most stereotyped gunslinger story ever that I've ever heard, but the reason it's stereotyped, I realized, is because it's in Blazing Saddles, which you have yet to see, but is one of those Mel Brooks movies that is kind of on the, the uh -huh. canon of Mel Brooks, if you yeah. will. This I've is, only seen the producers. Yeah, you've that, seen right? the producers. Uh, so you probably got some more uh, education time. to do. <laughs> I'm not going to sing the rest of this no, song. No, let's not on the sing air. the rest of that on the air. We really don't want that clip out there in any way, shape, or form. No. <laughs> uh, but this is a story that Gene Wilder uh, tells, except he lowers the age of the kid to six. <laughs> <laughs> According to Wikipedia or IMDb or some darn site, I saw this is the origin of that story, and Mel Brooks was parodying this actual story Bro. from the Twilight Zone. I don't know if it's true, Dope. but when when and if you got you and I ever see Blazing Saddles, that, that whole scene's gonna take on a new significance. I bought a used uh, DVD of Blazing Saddles for two dollars, so unless it's scratched beyond recognition, <laughs> that can be our weekend. It's gonna plan. happen. Right. Um, yeah, and then he says, but now the, every fast and fancy man who owns a gun will come riding in down that street again. Only this time, it'll be me face down, bleeding to death. And then he says, so I'm going to get a shave so I look proper when I die. You know, he's going to be face down, bleeding to death. What's this man thinking? <laughs> shave yeah. it on the front of his face. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta look good before you die. He goes and gets a shave. He looks proper for the day he dies. How did he pay for the shave? Uh, did he I don't sing know. for them? Was he like, how dry my scalp is? I think he became a town hero, so he gets a free shave, I'm guessing. Either way, he looks good. He looks pretty good. He looks quite good without the hair on his face, which also made me realize that that poor actor had to, like, grow this disgusting, like, schlub stub yeah it was pretty bad <laughs> maybe it was a makeup job maybe they didn't force because that would have been like a good month's worth of growth yeah so. like henry cavill like ain't got nothing on this guy mm. <laughs> daniel day lewis more like danny duryu <laughs> great <laughs> camera pans to mr fate as we cut to commercial in the end of act two 
Alright, and then back from commercial break, we open on a cracked mirror. Cracked into seven shards. You actually counted? Seven years of bad luck, brother. Wow, I, I noticed the cracked mirror. I didn't actually count it. Okay, good. <laughs> the poor props guy who had to like... <laughs> well, got that one wrong. It. Just six. Oh, I gotta do it again. Oh, eight! Oh, darn my luck. How many mirrors am I gonna break? Then a man walks in. A man we haven't seen before. An un uh, a forgettable face, and he says, Tall man. Doesn't usually wear his gun. Blonde hair. And it's like, this is the second episode in a row where Rod Serling has made like a a that guy actor like burst into to someone's living room and like state facts about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's no question that this is um, tough guy talk. And these are young toughs who are here. Yeah. Uh, their friend Pete Grant, their, their 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 guy, their main guy Pete Grant is coming into town tomorrow. Pete Grant, and he wants to fight you. He wants to. He heard you're good, and he wants to prove he's better. Again, this is weird, weird, weird stuff, right? Like yeah. I, I am an awesome guy. I'm gonna make sure I'm the awesomest. If I come within, I don't know, a hundred meters of you, we're throwing down. Like I. So weird. This is so weird. All right, so uh, he realizes he's into it. He's, for some reason, got to show up for the fight tomorrow. So we cut to the next day. Quick day scene. Uh, very quick scene, just to establish that he cannot fire the gun. Uh, whatever the, happened the day before, uh, he's he's shaky. He can't do anything. He and does see the clearly cool cowboy thing where he like, swings yeah. around and looks over his shoulder. It's like the equivalent to like the FBI agent notepad flip. You know, it's the cowboy like... <laughs> Turn around and You're shoot. To me. Yeah, no. Clearly, he's got the moves, but he does not have the mm -hmm. shooting. So, uh, we cut then quickly to the evening. Right? The episode starts moving pretty quickly here. Uh, and finally, with less than eight minutes left in the episode, Mr. Fate actually says something. Mr. What? Henry J. Fate, I think, very subtly named uh, a peddler of things. <laughs> Pardon me, everything. Oh yeah, he's got everything. Uh, but most importantly, he's got magic potions. What? Yeah, Gives him one and says, I call that my fast gun developer. You <laughs> know, just happened to have this one locked in the shell, this, this fast gun developer. I will say, I kind of bagging on him a little bit. This was actually my favorite part of the episode. Yeah. Um, I will say because... He has a lot of lines uh, where, uh, you know, for instance, uh, Denton is like, I hate this gun. I hate this thing. And he says, don't curse the gun. Use it. And he's got this oily voice. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I didn't know because I couldn't remember how this episode resolved exactly. I thought I knew, but I wasn't sure. I, I couldn't tell whether he was trying to be bad or good. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. I thought the dialogue and the actor... The guy you mentioned, the, that guy, did a decent job saying, this is Mr. Fate, yeah, but is Fate good? Is Fate bad? Is Fate indifferent? Like, what's going on here? Nice. Yeah, that was compelling. Yeah, he, the thing that made him kind of slimy for me, other than mm -hmm. his actual voice, was that he repeated everything he said twice, and mm -hmm. on the second time, he always added a little flair to his Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. There was a lot of knowing looks and glares. And, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, like, he when he gives him the potion, he says... Go ahead. Drink, Drink it! it. <laughs> Total tone shift. You know, like, you, you feel that he's, his whole, whatever, purpose of being is getting uh, this yeah. guy to taste this potion. Denton, sure enough, tastes it, and boom, 
he can shoot for 10 seconds at last. He, he can, he's a crack shot again, so. And then Fate's like, take that 10 seconds before you fight Mr. Grant. So somehow we know this guy is weird because, like, he knows the name of the guy who's coming in, coming into town already. But I just kind of had a head cannon. Yeah. Cary Grant showing up because <laughs> they were in North by Northwest together yeah, yeah. and that actor Booster Fate is just like hey guys check it out Cary Grant you know this guy Cary Grant my man Cary Grant say, say hi Cary <laughs> that would have definitely been a they had like a loving reunion yeah. and we're yep. like I got the same character now Cary but we can go we can go catch up over some Mai Tais later you know <laughs> wow good Nice specific on the Mai Tai. I like that. You really painted that picture well. <laughs> so uh, he gives him the potion for free. Uh, and Mr. Fate says, you might oh. just call this just a service of Henry J. Fate. Just so you might remember the time that Fate stepped in. <laughs> Get it? Huh? Get it? I don't. Wait, can you explain it no, to me? It's he Fate stepped in. What Let's do you see. mean? No, yeah, that's his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his name. But he stepped in. He's fate. Yeah, like he has legs. Yeah, no, he he's embodying the personification of fate. Ah. Oh. Oh. See, that whole part just didn't make sense to me. I know, but see, it's so confusing. You just gotta see it from the other angle, man. You just gotta see the subtext, the, man. I know, it's so subtextual. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's like sub subtext. It's like inception subtext. In subtext. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone comes out to see the fight because apparently these people have nothing better to do than get hit by stray bullets from two guys go at it. There are two dames now, though. <laughs> there cut two, off. There's another. Cut game. off the head of the high drain and it grows two <laughs> <laughs> Yep. We got two women and a whole lot of guys. That's the most women that have been in any of these episodes. Oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. By by a factor of two, I believe. Oh no, we did it with a young girl. But girls. she was a girl. We this had the young is, girls yeah, in the last one. You're right. Grown women. Two hundred percent women. Wow. So uh, yeah, the the kid comes in. He's a young kid, black hat, of course. Uh, they pull up. He's like, get ready to draw. They and did not follow the Ten Dual Commandments. No, I was just thinking. Like, <laughs> the Ten Dual Commandments were absolutely disregarded here. Uh, the, uh, they, they, they do, however, both reach for a vial. <gasps> and both notice that E. Other is drinking a potion from Mr. Fate. Yo. Bum, bum, bum. Do a lot of shots like between all the faces. Back um, and forth. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And they, we see uh, what's his face, uh, Fate smiling again. Yeah. And I feel like that actor, because there were so many close-ups on him, and he talks like once. I feel like maybe that actor just showed up for one day, and I took like one shot of his face from far away, and then just used like Blade Runner zoom in technology right. to like create exactly. the rest of his scenes. I think you're absolutely right. It felt like that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it's at this point that I don't know which way it's going to go. Is fate setting it up so they kill each other or not? Turns out the answer is not. They each shoot what? the gun out of the other hand and supposedly shoot each other's hands as well. The reason we only reason we know this is the doc steps in and oh, he says the strangest line. Oh in the my god, thing. I wrote it down too. Uh, yeah. This was a push, boys. <laughs> there was no winner. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's a blackjack game all of a sudden. It's and a then, tie. And then the dame with her subpar wig <laughs> runs over and like looks concerned. <laughs> yeah, very concerned. It's like I served my purpose. <laughs> and the doc needs to tell us essentially that uh, Denton's hand is irreparable. Uh, although he's sort of lazily putting a white bandage on it. And the doctor's like, oh, at least you have a story to tell your grandchildren. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I was like, that will be the latest story. Hey, grandchildren, want to hear about that time I used steroids to try to kill a man? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Grandpa, tell it again. <laughs> Conquer. <laughs> Did the roids make you feel big, Grandpa? <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then, Mr. Denton goes over to the young lad uh, and says, "You're blessed, son. We're both we've both been blessed." And then Rod Sterling appears in the scene, and he reaches his arm through the TV screen, and he just kind of taps your nose. <laughs> get it? He's like, get it? They're blessed. Yep. Looks like. Mr. Fate was a good guy after all. Thanks, Mr. Fate. <laughs> and they share a knowing smile, which I'm getting sick of these episodes, like ending with knowing smiles yep. between men who've just been taught a lesson and then like personifications of like ideological concepts. That's right. We are two or three episodes in and two of them have personifications of the big ideas. We got fate. And we've got death, right? Mm -hmm. Mm, That's true. A little lazy, actually, when you think about it that way. So Fate gets back on on the horse pulling his his peddler caravan. He gets back on his high horse. (laughs) High horses all the way out of town. So did you like this episode, Maeve? I feel like it's not bad enough to mercilessly make fun of, but it's not good enough to warrant watching. Like, on on the scale of, my jam to not my jam. This is definitely marmalade. <laughs> marmalade is not your jam? Dude, why would anyone eat marmalade? I don't know. It's like puss with like oranges in it. Paddington likes it. Mm. Ooh, I just hit your soft spot, didn't I? <laughs> oh. oh. If Paddington likes it, man. Paddington likes it. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to noodle over that one, aren't you? episode over (laughs) um not that you asked but i'll give my opinion on the episode too uh yeah no i i it was not my favorite of the three no Mm -hmm. question it was my least favorite of the three it was not horrible no i if it if this was the first episode of the series and i'm in 1959 watching it i might go yeah yeah no, I'd be like, wow, Martin Lando was in that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Even though he wasn't famous at the time. like yeah. Golden Globe winning actor Martin Lando was in this. That's right. I believe that man's going to win an Oscar someday. What I did like about this episode was, um, this sounds like when you don't like something, so you find something very specific to like about it. Okay. Um, like in that one episode of 30 Rock. But I really liked the camera work because... Um, and specifically the way that the, the staging or the way that the characters were staged, because a lot of the time, um, you would have, uh, Denton in the foreground and the dame or the bully in the background. And what would happen, um, would be that they would always have to come into the foreground to be able to interact with Denton. 
which I enjoyed because essentially it was a very literal visual way of showing how his his addiction creates emotional barriers um, yeah. and how he's not seeking anything out. And then I like that they flipped it where in uh, the scene with fate, they're both in the same, the same kind of zone of the screen, um, uh-huh. which in, it's like, it's an interesting turning point. So I was a fan of that. All right, good. That's my one specific <laughs> thing I'd like. That's uh, I didn't notice any of that, but I, um, I can appreciate it. I, yeah, I, I thought I, I think I liked this episode slightly more than you, mm-hmm. uh, but I would were someone to say I want to watch a lot of Twilight Zones from the beginning. I might say skip three. Yeah, yeah it's fine. I mean, you know, it's only twenty three minutes, so what the heck? Yeah. But eh, there's other things you can do. There's <laughs> other things you can do. Call your Congress people. Yeah. Yeah, take those 20 minutes. Don't listen to our podcast, God forbid. <laughs> no, no, no. Besides, when would we ever do a podcast that was only 23 minutes long? <laughs> so, Cass, after three full podcasts, um, is it still just an attempt? No, it, it's not. You're, you're at a try, definitely, but, um, you know, keep working, because normally people are at... <laughs> Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, and don't be afraid to give us a review on iTunes. You can follow our Twitter at ZoneZonePod, and like our Facebook page also at ZoneZonePod. You can write in feedback to our email address, thezonezonepodcast at gmail.com.